where this is Memorial Day weekend, and as the video we just watched talked about, it is appropriate for us to stop and to honor those who laid down their lives, who paid the ultimate price so that we can enjoy the freedoms and the privileges and the rights that we do. One of those being the freedom and the right to worship. Uh, even though we're worshiping online, we still have that right and that privilege and that freedom as a church. And so as you celebrate this weekend, as you enjoy this long weekend, uh, would you just be mindful of that and thank the Lord for those who have gone before, who have made that sacrifice. In fact, let's pray that way right now. Father God, I thank you for all of the men and women, Lord, who have served and who have given their lives in sacrifice for this nation. And Lord, uh, so many over uh, the centuries, Lord, who have paid that, that price. But Lord, I also know that there are those currently in our nation who have family members and loved ones who have uh, given their lives even recently, Lord. And so we lift those families to you. We pray covering and comfort over them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We also want to take time today to honor uh, some special graduates. We have a few people that are graduating from college and from high school. And so we just want to recognize them and that accomplish, uh, accomplishment. So uh, check out uh, these slides and uh, we, we just honor those who are graduating. Of course, we wish we could be in person and lay hands on them and commission them into the next season of life. But would you just join me in praying for each of these that have graduated, uh, both from high school and college, as they move into what God has for them. Lord, we honor and bless these graduates. We ask, Lord, that as they move into uh, this next season, this next step of life, God, that you would guide their steps that you would go ahead of them, that you would be behind them to their left and to their right. Lord, guard their hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that everything that you have planned for them would come about, would see uh, fruition in their lives. We pray comfort, covering, and protection over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2. And we are going to continue in our series entitled God Is. We've been in this series from the beginning of the year, uh, continuing to move through this whole year, asking the question, who is God? Who is God? Seeking to discover more about his nature, uh, about his purpose, about his character, about his work in the world. And asking questions like, what do I believe about God? And why do I believe what I believe about God? And, and where did I learn those things? Where did I get, gain those beliefs? And is what I believe about God 
true? And, and then the follow-up questions to that being, if, if it is true, what is my response? How do I respond to what I know about who God is? How should it impact my life? And as we continue through these, this series, and each Sunday we've filled in that blank. We've said God is, and we've had a number of different things. And, and even over this last week, just realizing in my own life, uh, there's not enough words to fill in to describe who God is. And so one of the things I want to start moving towards over the next few weeks and for the, re- the remainder of this year is uh, we're going to have a lot more Sundays where we don't fill in the blank for you. In fact, what I want to encourage you to do is to read throughout the week, get into the Lectio reading and read those passages and start discovering in your own life who is God. And I'd love to hear what some of those answers would be. Uh, post them to social media or uh, email us at the church. And I'd love to hear, what is God speaking to you? What are you discovering about his nature and his character, about who he is? And so a lot more of the Sundays coming up are going to be, the, the blank is going to be left open. And I, I would even love to share some of what you're discovering uh, on Sundays as we present these messages. But today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to look at some uh, aspects of God's nature and his character that may seem like paradoxes. In fact, uh, the Bible is full of paradoxes and mysteries, things that are not easily explained or not explained at all, things that are beyond our comprehension. Uh, paradoxes are an important part of the word of God and about his nature and character uh, because it requires us to dig deeper, to press in, to to seek out more, but it always always keeps us questioning and asking. There are so many facets to who God is that we can never fully comprehend Him. If we were able to fully comprehend God, He would cease to be God. We wouldn't need Him anymore, but He is beyond our comprehension. He's beyond what we can understand, and so I want to look at some of these over the next few weeks. Some examples of what a mystery or a paradox would be in Scripture is this, that God is three, yet He is one. He is three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet He is one. Uh, another would be this, that Jesus was fully man and yet fully God. He was both God and man at the same time. Uh, another would be this, that God is transcendent. He is above all. He is beyond space and time, that he uh, is beyond everything we can con- understand um, and, and, and fathom, yet he is imminent, that he is near, that he is close, that he is personal. Uh, a paradox that Jesus presented in his life and his teaching was this, that in order to gain your life, that you have to lose it. In order to gain your life, you have to lose it. Uh, just at a surface Uh, level that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to make a statement like that. And so scripture is full of these paradoxes, full of these mysteries that help us discover and know God to a greater degree, not just once, but over and over and over and over again. See, God's not like a a book that you would pick up and, and read and go, well, I read that book, or I saw that show, or I learned about that thing, and now I've got it. I've I've wrapped my head around it. God reveals himself and continues to reveal himself over and over, and he continues to humble us and challenge us at the same time. One of those paradoxes is 
that God is beyond comprehension, yet we can know him. And there's a tension that exists in that. And as I said, we want to explore some of those over the next coming weeks. The, the one I want to revisit today and check out today is uh, that of the church, understanding what the church is, or asking the question in light of who God is, what is the church? And I think it's an important question for us to ask in light of where we are at this point in history and time, uh, the things that we're walking through as the church, as we're limited, we're not able to meet in person right now. It's really challenging. It's challenging for me, and I imagine it is for you, in asking, what is the church? Who are we? And, and we've heard things. You've probably heard these statements. Uh, I've made some of these statements, and I believe these to be true, that the church is a people, not a place. That church is a people. It's not a place. It's a body, not a building. A body, not a building. And these, these again, are accurate. They're, they're true, but there's a lot more to it. In fact, there's so much more that goes into understanding what the church is. And that's what we want to talk about today and then moving into the next few weeks. The focus today and and the the fill-in for that blank today would be this, that God is in his temple. God is in his temple. So in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, we see the tabernacle and then the temple. It was the the place where the presence of God dwelt. His presence came and resided amongst the people, starting with the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, that God gave them instructions about how to build this tabernacle, this tent, uh, where his presence then came and, and filled that place. And the people would come to the tabernacle and make their sacrifices and 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 be, become right with God, get close to his presence. And then later on, Solomon would build this glorious temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And people would come from all over the world to worship on that mountain, to praise God, to to make their sacrifices, to be close to him and to be in his holy presence. See, the temple was the physical representation of the presence of God. The temple and the tabernacle were the physical representations of the presence of God. God. So we had the tabernacle for the Israelites when they came out of Egypt while they were wandering. And then Solomon, once Israel had been established as a nation, Solomon built a temple in Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed. And then Herod rebuilt that temple in Jerusalem. And it too, uh, after the death of Jesus, just just shortly after that, was also uh, destroyed. And now in Jerusalem, there is no temple that stands there. In fact, there is a Muslim mosque, the Alaska mosque that stands in that place. There's an important co- encounter though, that Jesus has when he comes to the temple in Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover. And we find it in John chapter two, and we're going to spend a few minutes today looking at what happened on that mountain when Jesus came into the temple. So John chapter 2, starting in verse 13, this is what it says. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others, others sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers 
and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show to prove to prove your authority to do all of this? So, so Jesus goes up at the Passover to the temple, and there would have been just thousands and thousands of people coming to that place. And the scene that he walks into was pretty chaotic. See, people, because they had traveled from so far, it means that they had opted to not bring their sacrifice with them. The, the, the requirements of the law was that their sacrifice would be without spot or, spot or damage, blemish, spot or blemish, and that it would be not marred. It would be a perfect, as close to a perfect sacrifice. In fact, if the, the lamb that you were bringing to sacrifice was marred in any way, the, the priest would reject it and say, no, you can't bring that. And so rather than risk the, the animal being uh, damaged, while in transit from whatever region they were traveling from, they rather brought money with them, and then they would buy that that uh, that animal, whether it was a dove or the sheep or the cattle. They would buy that 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 sacrifice at the temple courts. And so, what had happened is it turned into a business opportunity, and so people were making a lot of money. In fact, because people had traveled from far and wide, they had come with different kinds of currency, like us today. If we travel out of the the states, if we travel outside of our home country, we have to exchange money for whatever the currency is, and there's usually a fee involved. Well, that's exactly what was happening here at the temple. People were exchanging money so that they can then go and buy the sacrifices they needed, and so the the prices had got jacked up. They were price gouging, essentially, both when they exchanged the money and when they bought that sacrifice. And so Jesus walks into this scene and he's disgusted by what he sees. He, he can't stand what he sees in front of him. And in righteous anger, he responds. The, the fact that Jesus made a whip out of cords and he drove the people out of that place was significant. It was a, a huge moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus, because we, we can all often have this picture of Jesus just being meek and, and mild Yet here, he, his zeal for the presence of God, for the temple, and for this place, this holy place on this mountain, just overwhelms him, and he drives the people out, and he makes that statement. He says, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. This is not an appropriate way to behave in the presence of God. And of course, his disciples remember that it is written zeal for your house, for the house of God would consume him. Now, was God's presence restricted to the temple? No, not at all. We understand that God's presence was everywhere, that he is transcendent, that he was not limited to being in the Holy of Holies. In fact, the presence of Jesus confirms that, that he shows up fully God and fully man, fully human. He is outside of the temple, yet he brings the presence of God, but Jesus here is zealous for the significance of what this place is. This representation of the presence of God to the world. He is zealous about what is being displayed. See, it was a physical, the temple was a physical representation of the presence of God, and it was important that God's presence 
was represented well. It was important that God was presented well. And so Jesus has this response. And so he's asked by the Jews in that place, why, why do you think you have the authority to do these things? You need to prove to us that you have the authority. See, he was up, upending the systems that they had established and that the financial processes and the financial comfort and, and, and the economy that had been established in that place and what he was doing. And so they respond and say, who are you? Who do you think you are to come in here? By what authority are you doing these things? What's so interesting to me is that what, what Jesus is doing is challenging the systems and the structures and the norms and the way that, that, that people had interpreted the law, interpreted God's instructions on how they would worship to benefit themselves. And he turns those things upside down. And it's so interesting to me that in so many ways, that's what we're walking through as the church today, as we've been limited by where we can meet and how we can meet and when we can meet, uh, that, that's, that's so many of those things that have just become the norm for us the way that we are used to, we like to worship, have become challenged and they have been challenged for us. And all throughout church history, not just Jesus at the temple and not just in this moment right now, but throughout history, we know this because we can see it through studying history. We understand this, that the church has been challenged over and over and over and over again that the systems and the structures and the, and the modes of worship that we have adopted and said, this is how you're supposed to worship, have been turned upside down throughout history. Whether it was in China when, when, when communism took over and the churches were closed and pastors and missionaries were either killed or kicked out of the nation, or, or to this day around the world where uh, religious freedom is restricted and so the church is not able to worship in public. Uh, even even through uh, more recent history, when the church in Europe was challenged or the Catholic church, Martin Luther challenges the Catholic church and the systems that had been established all throughout history, we see that the church is challenged in the, in the norms, in the, in the way that we begin to worship and the things that we say, well, this is just how it is done. And we understand that there are so many facets and in dimensions to God's church that we can't fully wrap our head around. And I'm pretty confident of this as well. It won't be the last time that the church is challenged. Between now and when Jesus comes back, I'm sure there will be other times and other ways that the way we worship is challenged. And so we have to ask, who has the ultimate authority over the church? Now, in our nation, that is a question that is being asked from all the way from our government in Washington, D.C., the president, the White House, our our state government, our local government. But at the end of the day, we have to ask this, who has the ultimate authority over the church? Who does the church belong to? See, we get attached to our methods and our forms and our modes of worship. We even get attached to things like buildings, But we have to pull back our perspective a little bit and say, whose church is this? Who does this church belong to and who has the authority? What happens to the church, or rather to the temple in Jerusalem, is it gets 
destroyed. And we find Jesus in the very next verse in answering this question. uh, He changes the conversation answering the question about authority. He says to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. The temple he had spoken of was his body. My first point today is this, that Jesus is his temple, that Jesus is the temple of God. See, Jesus here takes the focus from being on a building and it places it on himself. He makes that statement, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. He's looking at a physical place, a, a, a temple that was built with marble and bricks and mortar. But when he says that the temple will be destroyed and rebuilt, he wasn't talking about that building on top of a mountain. He was talking about himself, that in three days that he would rise again. And so what we see here is this shift from the presence of God moving from a building and from a, ge- a geographic location into the person and in, into the, 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 the life of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus becomes the physical representation of the presence of God. That he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. See, he became the ultimate expression of the eminence of God, the closeness of God, that he walked among us, that he broke bread with us, that he revealed his father to us. In fact, we just shared in communion, which is part of that celebration and that remembrance that God came in the form of a man and gave his life for us, that he was born, he grew up, he ministered, he died, he rose again, and now ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus is the temple of God, that he is the temple of God, that he is and it was and is the physical representation of the presence of God, no longer wrapped up in a building, but now wrapped up and contained in the person of Jesus. But it doesn't end there. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16, Paul writes this to the church. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So my second point is this, we are his temple. So Jesus is his temple But now we are his temple, his body, the church, is now the physical representation of the presence of God. And that God calls us to be a prophetic witness of the world, a prophetic witness that would display his love, his mercy, his grace, and his kindness to a world that needs to see him, that we would walk by faith that we would be a people of faith, that we would not look to the systems and the structures of this world, but that we would put our faith and our trust in God, that we would not even put our faith in a form of cultural Christianity or, or organized religion. At the end of the day, that God is the head of the church, Jesus is the head of the church, and that we would put our faith and our trust in him, that we would embody hope, and peace to a world that lacks hope and peace. See, Paul says that we ourselves together, we are God's temple and that his spirit lives 
amongst us. And I tell you today, that is not limited by geography or distance. That if you are part of this service today, along with the tens of thousands and millions of, uh, of believers around the world who are worshiping online in their homes, in small groups, that God's presence is in our midst. And we as the church are his temple. We are called to live as a prophetic witness. We are called to live counterculturally while engaging the culture. When I say that again, we are called to live counterculturally while still engaging the culture. Well, what does that mean? Well, we are going to talk about this more over the coming weeks, but, but here's, here's essentially what's, what, what that means, what that encapsulates is this. The, the world says that things are a certain way. Even in Jerusalem, we see at the temple that they had made the worship of God to be a certain thing. And Jesus shows up and he says, no, this is not the way that we do it. And so he counters the culture, yet the life and the ministry of Jesus, if we looked at this one moment where he makes a whip and said, that's the way we do it, all we would do is go around whipping people, but that's not what he modeled. He modeled grace and mercy. He, he spent time with people, engaged with them. He went to where they were. He ate in sinners' homes and he loved people where they were. And so as the church, we're called to live, not as the world lives, but not in such a way that we say, you know what, we're just going to distance ourselves, which so often when we get connected and, and sold out on our buildings and our programs, and that becomes the focus we can become inwardly focused and miss the fact that we're called to engage the world around us. So again, we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, but, but it's just important for us to remember that we are his temple. First Peter 2, 4 through 5 says this, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love what Peter writes here. Peter just reiterates this idea that we are the temple of God that and then he takes that metaphor and he he paints this picture. He says, "We are like the building blocks. We are the stones rather than a building being rebuilt on top of a mountain." that we represent the living stones that come together with Jesus as the cornerstone, as the one who holds it all together and determines how, how solid this structure is, this, this group of people, this, this place where God's presence dwells is based on Jesus. He is the authority. But then he says that we are now fit together as living stones, that we as the church, as the people of God, the place where his presence dwells amongst us become this representation and that we show God to the world. That we, in fact, it's, it says that, that we would be offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. You know, for the temple in Jerusalem, the smoke that would rise from where, the place where the offerings uh, were made would be seen for miles. Could be, it was visible all throughout the region. And as people would come up to Jerusalem, they would see that smoke and know that's the place where the temple was. It was the evidence. Well, we as the church are the temple of the presence of God. 
And we've been set apart to be holy and righteous, just like that place was, that that spot of land in Jerusalem. We are set apart to be holy and righteous. And what's more is that the spiritual sacrifices, the offerings of our lives, the spiritual offerings and sacrifices of our lives should be seen by others. They should be visible to the world around us. What are people seeing? What are people seeing in the church today? It's a good question for us to ask. And we need to keep asking that. Are we being a good representation of the presence of God to the world around us? But it goes even further. There's more. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by, the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is God's temple and we as the church, the body of Christ, we are together his temple But finally, today, you are his temple. Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ, that my sin is covered by his death and resurrection. I I have a life that I've died to my old life, but now I live, and not just that I live, but that Christ lives in me, not around me, not close to me, that Christ lives in me, and I live this this life now by faith in the Son of God. You are his temple. We'll put it this way. You are the physical representation of the presence of God. You are the physical representation of the presence of God in your home, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, when you go to the grocery store. Doesn't matter where you are. And especially as these restrictions start being lifted and and you get to go out more, remember this, that you are the physical representation of the presence of God. That is what a temple is. It's where his glory, it's where his presence dwells and that you carry that presence with you everywhere you go. Listen to me, this is an absolute game changer for us. An absolute game changer. God's presence dwells in you and in me. Let me let let, let that just sink in for a second. God's presence dwells in you. He's not just out there, even though he is. He's everywhere. And he's not just near you, even though he is. The Bible says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is, he is close, that he is closer than a brother. He is near you, but he's not just near you. He is in you, that God's presence dwells in you. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are the temples of the Holy Spirit. 
And God has deposited His Spirit in you that His glory, that His presence would live inside of you. And then Paul's encouragement is this. Hey, honor God with your bodies, with your very bodies. Because here's the thing, church. How you live matters. How you live matters. As much as it mattered to Jesus that that place where God's presence dwelt would be honorable to him, that there would not be things taking place in that space, in, that, in, 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 this, in this place where God's presence was represented, that there would be things, that, that there wouldn't be things that would dishonor him, and he drives those things out in our lives, and even in our bodies, God says, that we are to honor him, because this is the place where his glory dwells. How you live your life matters. But there's a different kind of motivation here. And I've wrestled this my whole life. I've, I've known Jesus since I was five years old. And I've walked with God through seasons of my life where I've tried to modify my behavior so that I could feel like God was closer or that I would not be rejected by God. But to know this, that God's presence lives in me when I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, when I put my faith and my trust in him, that the Bible says that his presence lives in you. If God's presence is already in me, it changes my perspective on how I see not only myself, but the world around me. It changes my perspective on, on what God has called me to and how he's called me to live, that I would be that representation of his presence to the world. So the question today is this, how do we respond? And I think we'd all agree that there is so much here that we can't answer that in one sermon, which is why we're going to take a few weeks to explore this as a church family, to press into this and, and have some, maybe some hard conversations that, that deal with some of the things in our lives that need to be addressed. See, I don't want to just simply answer the question for you because there is no simple answer. This is something that we as the church as those who embody the presence of God would lean into, that we would press into. See, we need to reframe our thinking about who Jesus is, about what the church is, and about ourselves. So that in these days, as we move forward as the church, as we start addressing, well, what does it look like to reopen? And what's church going to look like moving forward? That we don't answer those questions just simply through the lens of the culture that we're immersed in, that we would answer those questions first based on what God would say about who we are, about who you are. And I know this for a fact, that you have been set apart. You have been set apart. Say, I have been set apart to be the physical representation of the presence of God. So let me ask you today, what's on display in your life? What is the world seeing? How can we press into the people, being the people that God has called us, to being the temple, to being the dwelling place of the presence of God? Let's pray. God, we are humbled and honored and overwhelmed that your presence would be in us. God, I thank you that your presence no longer dwells just in a building. Lord, that over 2,000 years ago, that that season ended, 
and that through the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of your son, that the presence of God was released upon the earth, that Jesus, you are the temple, that you are the temple, you are God's temple, and that you've called the church to be that dwelling place, that place where your spirit dwells amongst us. And Lord, that we are the temple, that your presence lives in us. Holy Spirit, that you fill us and that your presence goes with us. Help us, Lord, to be the church that you've called us to be. That we would cast aside any of the ideas, the cultural ideas, the ways, Lord, that the the world has formed the church. Lord, that we would cast those things aside and that we would look to you to guide us, to lead us to being the church, to being the people of God that you've called us to be, to being your temple and to being that prophetic witness of the presence of God, a visible display, that representation of your presence in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you this week, spend time in the word. Uh, If you've not had a chance to download the Lectio Divina journal, you can do that on our website. And as a church, we're reading through those passages together. Hop on social media, post about what you're learning about God. Send us an email, we'd love to hear. Or I got a Facebook message from someone this week and we're so happy to get that about what they're learning in, in the midst of this reading. So let's press in as a church family and let's discover together who we are as a church as we move forward. Uh, Pray about who you can invite to join you next Sunday. uh, And we look forward to worshiping with you again.